Melanin and me, exploring the black woman's experiences in Britain. Hey lovely ladies, welcome back to Melanin and me. Before we dive into today's episode, we want to remind you how you can stay up to date with our latest content. We release episodes every other Thursday, so make sure to subscribe to Melanin and me on your preferred podcast platform so that you don't miss out on any episodes. You can also follow our inspiring content on social media by searching melanin underscore and underscore me on Instagram or find us on Facebook at Melanin and Me UK. If you felt empowered or motivated from any of our episodes, we love to hear it. So feel free to contact us by emailing melaninandme at yahoo.com or slide on in the DMs on our social accounts. Don't forget to share some love, drop us a review and share with any of your fellow queens who might be uplifted by tuning into Melanin and Me. For now, enjoy today's episode. Today, I am delighted to introduce, we have the fabulous guest, Dr. Stacey Pickart, who is none other than, um, she's a member of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and she's a wonderful, (laughs) um, a wonderful black female doctor who we're going to be speaking to today, um, specifically about fibroids. Stacey, it is wonderful to have you with us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and also your medical journey. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So yes, I'm a doctor. I got a medical degree from the University of Manchester, although I studied at Kiel. I was the last year to do that. I then did my foundation training in Manchester, which is where I know Ray is currently enjoying the rain. Yeah. All the time. Yes, and the cold (laughs) and the wind. It's like all of it. It was too much. It was making me depressed, man. It's just sad. <laughs> I feel like I'm there at the minute. It's just like I wake up, it's dark. I go to work, I come home, it's dark. It's like I just need the sun. Yeah. I hate the Midlands. <laughs> so I moved to the Midlands after my foundation training to start my specialty training. So I've been working in Ops and Gyne since 2013. Yeah, 2013. I've had a bit of a longer journey now that I'm working part-time since having my kids. Oh, so, Yeah, I'm also a wife and my mum of three, uh, seven, four, and one and a half. So there is definitely- Wow. And that, and that, that is another job. I'm glad you put it in there because that is another job. <laughs> wow. I know that we were talking before the briefing and you were saying that, you know, well, you know, I've, I've done a few this, I've done, you know, I've done this doctorate and I've done this. So- we, you know, Ray and I love to shout about and amplify all the achievements of um, the wonderful women that we get on the pod. So tell us a little bit, you know, all the other achievements that you've you've had over the years. So I'm also a member of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Um, we all do postgraduate exams. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are your personal cheerleaders for today, just so you know that. <laughs> so I see. I appreciate it. I appreciate the love. So yeah, I became a member in 2018. I also have a postgraduate certificate in medical education because I really enjoy educating, particularly about medicine, about health. Um, So I help teach medical students, um, other allied health professionals, younger trainees who are coming up after me. And about a year ago, I also started an Instagram page to try and help get some more health information out there as well. Yeah. So that's just something I do in my spare time when I can. You can find me at caramel underscore doctor seven. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's me, really. I love that name. That's a great name. <laughs> Amazing. We'll have to put all of um, all of the socials and stuff at the end. We'll put them on the footnotes. 
so people can have access to them quite easily but wow incredible amazing absolutely amazing (laughs) I'm blown away I'm just sat here like oh my god you've done so much (laughs) it makes you feel like I, I I like gave myself a pat on the back for making a really good cup of tea today and I'm like I just feel so poof. yeah actually actually just that forget. is also an achievement, also an achievement. <laughs> remember everybody's on their own timing Zash. oh right <laughs> let's not let's not compare a good brew to a PhD come on now come on, <laughs> it's not quite a PhD not yet I don't know if I have the energy in me for that too much (laughs) fingers crossed um I actually declined the PhD opportunity this year (laughs) my parents weren't so happy about it but yeah we we live and learn we move I don't think I was mentally ready no I think you have to be mentally ready for those things the the assignments are brutal yeah honestly the offer came through and I was like I just sat there for a few days and I was like, right, I need to write my um, my list of positives and negatives. And I think it just, uh, the negatives out, outweighed the positive. And I was like, yeah, this tells me I am not in the mental state for mm-hmm. this at this moment in life. Maybe mm-hmm. in a few years time down the line, we can think about it again. But for now, I was like, no. Yeah, you can always come back to it, can't you? Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> We're going to get straight into it. Um, what are fibroids and what are some of the symptoms if you do have them? And another last question on there is a little sub question is that can they be removed once you find out that you do have them? OK, so fibroids are growths of what you can think of them as little lumps, sometimes big lumps of the muscle layer that is in the lining of the womb. They are usually benign. Um, although a very small percentage of them can undergo cancerous change, for the majority of women, they will be benign. Um, and in terms of symptoms, the most common things are heavier periods, painful periods, dependent on where they are as well. You can get pressure symptoms, bloating or f- the feeling of swelling in your abdomen. If they are particularly big and they're on the outside of the womb, they can press on the bladder or the tubes going to the bladder. You can get issues with urinary tract infections or if they're at the back and pressing on the bowel, you may struggle with constipation and having your bowels open regularly. You can also get miscarriage. It can be associated with miscarriage and infertility. But again, that very much depends on whereabouts the fibroids are. Mm-hmm. In terms of surgery, yes, you definitely can have surgery for them. It depends on the size and what sort of symptoms they're giving you, but there are definitely surgical options available. Mm. Is it one of those where once you've had the surgery and they've gone, can they regrow again or is that it? So they can regrow. Um, in, in, in terms of risk factors, we know that they're very common actually. They think roughly between one in three and one in two women will have fibroids, but actually for two thirds of women, they won't even know because they don't have any symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, after surgery, they can regrow. One of the risk factors is if you are overweight, and that's just because fat cells are an important store and producer of estrogen, and the growth of fibroids is estrogen driven. So if you're overweight, you have a lot more circulating estrogen and that stimulates the growth of fibroids. Wow. See, this is really, really interesting because 
was it last year ash or was that this year mate i don't know what year we're in now so <laughs> i couldn't tell you Probably best not to remember what at year some point in the last 18 months i went to the doctors and they said that i had fibroids mm-hmm. and initially i was quite taken aback as you've just said like the risks and like the symptoms they were all like <gasps> I was quite scared and it was like for that first week I was like right I'm gonna change my diet this is what I'm gonna eat this is what I'm not gonna eat this is what I'm gonna do this is what I'm not gonna do and then because the symptoms aren't really the only symptom that I really get is the really bad cramps when I'm on my period and quite heavy periods and I think Mm -hmm. that's linked to having quite low iron levels as well which I found out recently that I have so yeah. I think the two really do correlate, don't they? Is that is that right? Yeah. So because fibroids, again, if they're particularly on the inside lining of the womb, they can cause heavier and more painful periods. Because mm. your periods are heavier, you're losing more blood. You're more prone to becoming anemic mm. um, if you're not under control. Yeah. These are prolonged as well. Yeah. Mm. Another thing that I found out through that process was that a deficiency in a potential deficiency in vitamin D has some element of um, a risk factor is is that right um I don't know actually I've not come across that one before so that's oh. something I'll have to go away and have a look at that is a proper doctor answer I'm not actually gonna lie before I went into the next question I was gonna have to say do you know what Stacey you have the most reassuring if you, if I came to you and you and my doctor I would literally you could tell me the sky is orange and I would believe you like you have the most reassuring voice ever I'm like yes I'm bought in I don't know if I don't know if that's part of like training or anything or you're just blessed with it but I'm telling you now it's a very yeah very calming reassuring Calm aura, innit? Calm. Yeah, that's yeah, it. You, Ash, we're quite hectic. We're just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Stacey's just sat there, just observing. She's like, yeah. <laughs> so let me balance this energy out. This is too much for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably just because I'm quite laid back in general. So it comes uh, out of my voice. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I, can ima- <laughs> I can imagine that your patients are very you know very very yeah. grateful as well they do uh, the feedback I've had has been positive so <laughs> there you go there you go I'm not just making it up it's not just me um so we'd see thank you for telling us a little bit what fibroids are and kind of some of the symptoms um obviously as you know through our podcast we um speak primarily to the black community for, uh, and women of color as well you know and we know that fibroids tend to be more common in the black female com- community why is this what what's the cause of that what's the correlation there so we still don't really understand and that may be in part due to a lack of studies in that area Mm. like i said we know that fibroid growth is estrogen driven but as for what is causing them in the first place we don't know there could be an element of genetics because you're also more likely to have fibroids if say your mom had fibroids or your sister has fibroids so there is a genetic link but we don't fully understand why it works but yeah, you're right. It is a lot more common in African-Americans, in black women, uh, for reasons we don't understand. I remember some years ago hearing about a potential link between relaxer use and fibroids, but I'm not sure how much work has gone into that to really elicit if that is true. 
Well, oh. I know, I, I know it's definitely not for, for Ray because she ain't never touched her hair's had never seen a liquor relaxer. So, <laughs> <That is so laughs> oh, she's a I, good girl. That is very good. Oh, it would help, it would help me now. <laughs> <laughs> when I was reading about it, most of the things I was like, well. I'm not really overweight. I'm not, I eat, I, I think I eat pretty well. I mm. do this, like on a whole, on a scale of like an unhealthy person to a healthy person, I think I'm moderately healthy. So in my- More than in moderately. My, in my, in my, um, I think it's just lack of the draw for me because my mum my hasn't got them. Mm. So I don't know whether it's genetics. Again, I feel like, my dad says this a lot. She's always like the food that we eat in England compared to the food that you'd eat back home. So I'm from Zanzibar and I always go on about it. Ash is about to be like, all right, oh, let's go on about it. <laughs> Are you he's from out. Zanzibar? I've never heard that before, sorry. Um, but he's always talking about how the food's different. So how the food is preserved here compared to back home because you're having everything that's organic everything mm-hmm. that's like at the sea and it's like cooked straight away or from like the tree itself to like being cooked so we miss a lot of those preservatives and I think the preservatives have a lot to do with the different risk factors that we then tend to be put in so yeah that's that's one theory that I have um mm. I haven't got any research to back that I'm sure <laughs> she did say she declined a PhD so this is just the common sense of Ray yeah you know comment. what though absence of evidence is not the same as evidence of absence oh yeah. okay <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that we don't know, and we can say we don't, there's no evidence to show that there's a link, but that's just because the studies haven't been done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think your theory is an interesting one, and it's, it's something that I've been hearing and thinking about for a little while, because, for example, there's so many things that Black people, Black women, Black men are at higher risk of over here in mm-hmm. the West, but that we may not necessarily be at higher risk of, say, in the Caribbean or in Africa. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Black women are more like four times, five times more likely to die in pregnancy over here. But yeah. surely that cannot be the case in the Caribbean where the majority yep. of Black. Yeah. So you have to be thinking, well, what is different over here? So I, I definitely think your point is very valid. And mm. hopefully someday, one day, maybe you, when you do your PhD. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. My it's been said here. It couldn't be any further away from <laughs> medical, medical science. But yeah, Stacy, you mentioned obviously like the studies haven't been done, um, so there's still more to be learned. Is that something that's in the pipeline? Do you know that that's more that you know there's more to come on that, or do you feel think that needs kind of a few kind of trailblazer researchers to kind of look into that in more detail? I think probably the latter. Um, I'm not a pro on this particular topic in terms of research but I think there's going to be a bias in terms of what research is done it depends mm-hmm. on how important it is to the powers that be because mm-hmm. for example the, the stat I quoted about black women being five times more likely to die in pregnancy and labor that's not new all the hype mm. about it was only last year but actually we've known this since at least the late 1990s and it's just sure. bothered to look into it until there's been this big uproar and then they're like oh actually reform a tax committee so you know I think there's definite imbalance in in the types of research that is done mm-hmm. um, I think we also probably don't help the matter in that 
we are probably most likely to be underrepresented in research studies. Black mm -hmm. women, black people in general are not that keen to get involved. Exhibit A. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is this level of distrust, it, particularly in the black community, I think, between mm -hmm. them and the medical community. And I think that's understandable, given all the atrocities that have been committed in the name of medicine in the past against mm -hmm. black people. Mm. I think, unfortunately, it does leave us in this position where things that really impact us are not necessarily given the attention that they deserve. Mm. Mm. Yeah, coming back to fibroids in black women, as I said, we don't really have a clear answer. What we do know, though, is that black women are more likely to be diagnosed younger. They're more yep. likely to have symptoms and they're more likely to have multiple fibroids. Um, it's also really interesting, actually, that the evidence shows that fibroid growth rates in black women and white women are pretty similar up until the age of 35. Then they start to tail off in white women, but not in black women. And again, we don't have a reason why, but mm. as you can see from all of those factors, black women are definitely more negatively impacted by fibroids. Mm. Wow. That's really We're interesting. Really out here suffering. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> They're suffering. Is there anything that can um, that people can do to prevent their likelihood of getting fibroids? So we talked a little bit about weight loss, didn't we? Making sure you maintain a healthy weight um, because the fat, uh, fat cells store estrogen and they produce estrogen. So the more fat you have, the more circulating estrogen you have, the more likely you are to have fibroids and the more likely you are for them to grow and cause you symptoms. Um, diet is another important one. Again, there hasn't been much research into the impact of diet, but we know that women who have more than for servings of fruit and veg a week are less likely to have fibroids. Mm. Um, and in fact, a lot of the research we're doing for diet with regards to diet is pointing towards a whole foods, plant-based diet as being the best diet overall for health anyway. Mm -hmm. So the closer you can get to that, mm. um, the probably better it will be for you. And in terms of, this isn't classed as evidence because it's not a study, but in terms of anecdotal evidence, so stories I hear from my patients, my colleagues, friends who suffer the same thing, they've all found that once they make those changes in their diet, start consuming a lot more plants and plant-based food, their symptoms have really improved. Mm. Like I said, not from a study, but anecdotal. <laughs> I, I do, I do have a, <laughs> I have a very important question because this might, I mean, for Ray, is very important. Do, do you think that there's a, a correlation between eating prawns and <laughs> fibroids? Because when I tell you this girl loves like prawns, <laughs> this girl loves prawns because if that can, if that can be a, a form of something to make, to, oh my gosh, that'd be the best prawns thing ever. today, actually. <laughs> you guys are giving me so many ideas for research i need to <laughs> see look you never let you just remember where you where you got the ideas just remember i'll credit you in the footnote thank you thank you well, you can be second author <laughs> yeah. i mean prawns isn't a plant so yeah you gotta eat more plants yeah more plants very go. So Stacey, fibroids is something obviously that a lot of women, you have already mentioned it, that a lot of women can have without actually knowing. Um, mm. So like how, if somebody was maybe concerned, they'd heard about it, or maybe they think, oh, maybe people are listening now and they're curious, can women go for checkups? Like, is that something that um, can be done? And if so, how? Yes. So you could go to your GP and say you're concerned about it and ask for a scan. 
but you would probably not get one and my advice would be to not bother because if you don't okay why are you bothering <laughs> like why fix it if it's not broken yeah leave it alone it, it would be different if say you were trying to conceive and you've been trying for a year or two and you weren't getting anywhere sure then, yeah you'd have a scan as part of your investigations anyway and if it showed up there then we may be talking to you about doing something about it but just there's no point in just knowing that you have one it causes unnecessary stress mm. not having symptoms I wouldn't bother mm. no one's going and to even do yeah, yeah like even with mine I wouldn't I think I was going for another scan that's why um that just came up and I was like oh that's a bit surprising because mm. I never knew I just thought everything was normal but clearly there's like as you've said, unnecessary stress. I mean, if I'd, ne- I'd never known that, mm. I would have been perfectly fine up to this point. Yeah. But I didn't have that period of about a week or two where I was really, really upset and like really mm. concerned. So you are right. If it's not broken, why fix it? Why fix it? I mean, you have to think about what you're trying to achieve as well. Mm-hmm. Are you going to ask for treatment? Because no treatment is without risks. So, yes, you may get rid of the fibroid, but then you may have a whole host of other side effects that you never had in the first place for something that was never giving you symptoms in the first place. So if it's not bothering you, I would leave you alone. Leave it alone. And and I think that, you know, this is this is why these sorts of conversations are so important, because, you know, if I'm completely honest, hand on heart, I'm 29 years of age. And until Ray got told when she got told last year, I didn't know anything. I literally had, I was blissfully unaware of fibroids altogether. And mm. I'm, it's one of those things in my sense, I'm kind of embarrassed about because I'm like, it's such a prevalent thing, especially for, you know, somebody I'm more likely, I'm quite at high risk to potentially have fibroids, but I had absolutely no idea. And I think, you know, I wonder whether that's something that, you know, do you think, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on whether you think that's something that should be taught um, and educated on, not necessarily just fibroids, but, you know, other kind of, potential health conditions that women and black women are more likely to get we don't necessarily know almost until not it's too late but for some it might be that it's too late or just by accident almost for no reason Mm. no I absolutely agree I was doing some research for another talk I was giving a few months ago and I came across an article that stated that for most women the extent of what they know about their reproductive health was what they were taught in secondary school Mm -hmm. now I don't know about you guys but my sex and reproductive health lesson at school was woefully inadequate oh my gosh we we were actually that was pretty much it (laughs) yeah we were actually talking about this the other week on one of the other episodes and we were like my extent of sex ed was just putting a condom on a banana that was pretty much all I remember yeah that's it getting a pack of tampons a pack of pads learning a little bit about the menstrual cycle maybe a video about how to use tampons and pads and did you guys have to watch that video as well by the way I don't know if I can mention this on a podcast (laughs) about um how to give oral sex it's like a girl sucking a round trees lollipop look I I don't know where you had your sex education (laughs) but it certainly wasn't where I went to uh, I think you need to check on your school but I was actually going to say though it's it's always taught by like the most awkward or uncomfortable teachers Absolutely. as well like so I have to say time out time out time out I have to say this is all changing by the way we are moving okay as a teacher I can vouch for um the RSC curriculum it is changing and there is specific pockets of teachers 
who work really, really hard to ensure that the curriculum is a bit more encompassing and a bit more, um, what's the word, focuses on different elements. So that, for example, a small example is that the, the girls will go together and for example, the year seven girls are currently learning about the reproductive system. So mm -hmm. how the penis uh, impregnates um, the egg and how the baby then grows from that. They then learn about... <laughs> So sorry, I've just had it. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I hope you're not the teacher teaching it because this is at the front of the classroom. Honestly, yeah. guys, this is how this happens. Come on. No, sorry, I'm so she's trying to instill confidence in our teaching community, and she's out here laughing. No, no, no. I've just had a flashback because they've literally just had this sort of like RSC in the last two, three weeks. And my colleague, my friend, actually, not my colleague, gosh, my friend, she was saying how she's one of the teachers that teaches this. And all the year seven girls were like, ew, that's so disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> when they're learning about um, how, the, uh, how the sperm meets the egg. Sorry, I digress. But basically what I was saying is there's been massive, masses of improvement in terms of the curriculum and we are heading in the right direction. It's not where it needs to be, but it certainly changed, certainly mm. changed since, since when I was at school, for example. I don't mm. actually remember any sex ed at all other than, as you've said, like the condoms and the pads and tampons. So. Not, not the video, not the video. Not the video. No, I think it's definitely important and not just the sex aspects, but just general things. Like I found that when women ask me questions, I tend to get a lot of the same questions. So things mm. like, is discharge normal? What mm. color should it be? Is it normal for your vagina to smell? Mm. Um, I don't understand the difference between the vagina and the vulva. Mm. Um, even down to understanding what is a normal period because a lot of women will have heavy periods and just think that's normal because that's mm. the way that it's always been. And they don't recognize the symptoms that they have, which should trigger them to think, you know, I can go to the doctor because there's actually something that can be done about this. Mm. So I think that if school education is moving in that direction to cover just those basics of this is a normal period. If you're getting these sorts of symptoms, then, you know, it actually may be slightly abnormal. It's too mm. heavy. There are things that can be done. So if you, can check, check these off then perhaps go and see your GP mm. um, just basics like that mm. I think would be super important yeah and you know it's amazing how how uncomfortable it can make you feel sometimes asking questions when you especially I think it's almost when you get a certain age and you just feel like you should know that and I tell you one of the best experiences that I had that really and actually, I remember specifically looking at the reproductive section and thinking like, wow, there's so much I'm oblivious to. Mm. Um, and it's the exhibition. I always get it confused. It's either Body Works or Body Worlds in London. Oh, um, exhibition. Honestly. Manchester. It, it just incredible. And I recommend for anybody who's listening who hasn't been, I will put it in the footnotes, either Body Works or Body Worlds. Um, and it's, uh, I want to say German um group that put it together or came up with the concept of like basically um preserving real life bodies and um hosting them in 
you know, an exhibition show um, area, et cetera. And you, you basically walk around. It does sound extremely creepy. And I'm not going to lie, when you first walk in, it is very creepy because you're essentially walking around and seeing real life bodies on show. But what it does is kind of allows you to see compare and contrast. So like, for instance, you could see the respiratory system comparing from like a person who smoked all their life to somebody who hasn't you Mm. see the inside of that body and you see what it looks like you can see you know the nervous system the in in just its natural form just like nothing else around it so you literally see it so intricately and the reproductive system was there and I just remember being like that is it's just something you've never seen I was mind blown absolutely mind blown Mm. oh this sounds interesting sounds like something I need to get involved with oh Honestly, you need to go. If I tell you what as well, if you're looking for a new year, new me health kick, go to this place because I'm telling you now, it will it will remind you how important it is to look after our bodies. It really does. Fat bodies there, like, oh, the layers of fat inside were impressive. It honestly. Yeah. And yeah. also there are some that are in sex positions. And yeah. they did say there was like a disclaimer, and it did say on the thing like just to let you know these people signed up like they said they're happy for this to be them to be like <laughs> we didn't just like allow this to happen and they're like you know their dying wish was to not be shown in that scenario so I was like do you know what if I, if my body could be used in a way to educate in that way and I looked like I was having fun whilst I was doing it you know what <laughs> why not stop it Ash stop it <laughs> So we've briefly spoken about it, but I want we want a little bit more information for our listeners. So if you are diagnosed to have fibroids, what sort of like the next steps that you, an individual should take? Is it something that's irreversible? Um, and is there something that can be done or should people be concerned or worried about? So just a bit of hints and tips of how to manage that situation would be lovely, please. So management really depends, again, where the fibroids are and what sort of size they are. So if they're less than three centimetres, then we tend to offer medical management first, and that's usually hormonal. Mm -hmm. So what we call the gold standard is the Mirena coil, which is a hormone coil um, that works by thinning the lining of the womb. And in fact, many women won't have periods at all on it. So if your symptoms are that you're having heavy and painful periods, the myrinicol is really helpful from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, same, if you're not keen on the coil, then you can try the pill, either the combined pill or the mini pill, the injection, really any of the hormonal contraceptive methods will help help with the symptoms and particularly, or should I say mainly by stopping menstruation or reducing it. There are non-hormonal medications you can use that work by a providing pain relief and secondly by reducing blood blood loss. Um, mm-hmm. So they're also quite good if those are the symptoms that you're getting from your fibroids. If fibroids are bigger than three centimeters, then we tend to go for surgical methods. Mm-hmm. There's something called uterine artery embolization where we put a clot in the in the blood vessels going to the uterus you have lots of blood vessels that kind of join up together so don't worry your uterus won't die yeah i was scared I was like, uh, what from other areas 
Um, but what that basically does is starve the fibroid of blood supply. And if it starves the blood supply, then it will start to shrink. Mm -hmm. Nice, smart. Yeah. Then you can have surgery just to remove the fibroids. That's called a myomectomy. Um, if you have multiple fibroids, that's probably not the option because you won't be left with much uterus. It will look a bit like a cheese grater if we were to go around and remove all the little fibroids. So that's not really recommended if you have many, many. There are, and then as a last resort, there's hysterectomy. You can also, actually, before we get to hysterectomy, there's another operation we can do that kind of strips the fibroid away from the inside of the womb. But we wouldn't recommend to get pregnant after that procedure. Um, and then hysterectomy, as I said, is the last resort. That's where we take the womb out. And so obviously you won't be able to carry any babies then. So you have to be really certain that you've completed your family if you were going to go for a hysterectomy. Um, and those are, that's it really. There is another medication that we can give, but we tend to use it preoperatively. We tend to only use it for about six months and that's to shrink the fibroids, to make the operation easier, to reduce the blood loss um, to the patient. But we don't tend to leave women on it long-term because it will induce an artificial menopause. And then we'd have to put okay. you on HRT, so hormone replacement therapy to replace the hormones, to reduce your, your risk of developing things like osteoporosis. Mm. So, I know I said a lot there, but those are the kind of main management. But honestly, this is what we're here for. And I think, you know what, our females' bodies are just incredible. There's so many, there's so much to know. One of the things, so we um, were talking about before and, and kind of our last our last question really is about knowing if you know somebody who who has just maybe been diagnosed or been told they've got fibroids so similar to the situation I suppose with 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 Ray and, and I over the last year you know how would you suggest you know what would you suggest to listeners in that instance it may be a family member it may be a friend or colleague you know if they've just been told they are really panicking um they don't know where to go or who's talked to or what to do you know what 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 would you, advice would you give them Send money to them. <laughs> said that, not me. Uh, um, so my first piece of advice would be don't panic. It's not a panic mm -hmm. situation. Um, as I said, in most cases, it's benign. It will, it, if, you're, if you do nothing now, they'll usually shrink after menopause anyway. So you shouldn't be troubled by them until you die. Um, <clears throat> if you have no symptoms, do nothing is why start problems when you don't have problems um and if you are having symptoms then go and see your gp like i said i've already mentioned there's a range of treatments that you can try um if what the gp tries first of all isn't working then you'll usually end up seeing somebody like me in clinic in the gynae clinic and there'll be other things that we can try i mean having fibroids doesn't mean the end of life two-thirds of women won't even know that they have them and in fact I know a lot of people worry about getting pregnant with fibroids, but for many women, the first time they hear they have fibroids is when they're seeing me in antenatal clinic and I'm saying, oh, mm. you've had a scan today and you got to see baby. And oh, by the way, did you know you have a fibroid? Okay. So pregnant and they're having a baby. And, you know, it's, it's really not a big deal for many women. Yeah. So. And I'm sure my sister's <clears throat> not going to mind me saying this, but she that was exactly the case with her as well. Like mm. she's got a beautiful little girl now, my little niece. Um, She's healthy. My sister's healthy in terms of her womb as well. So mm. yeah, that's when she heard as well. Like she went for her 12 month scan. 
12 weeks, not 12 months, because that was... <laughs> that is a long pregnancy, bro. <laughs> it's long enough. You're not going to add to it. You can, see why she, you can see why she declined that PhD now, can't you? <laughs> no, she went for a um, 12-week scan, and they were like, oh, you've got fibroids. And I was like, oh, my God, like, you have fibroids. And she was like, yeah, it's... it's she actually calmed me down massively whenever I found out about mine, because she was like, yeah it's not a big deal like I had fibroids and I've been able to still get pregnant and have a baby so it's really not a big of a deal and for me personally I still carry on with life as normal like I go to the gym I do all the different activities I'm allowed on rides so it's not something that impacts on your life I don't know why I said ride (laughs) (laughs) of all the things you could pick (laughs) for all those roller coasters you go on every weekend obviously don't worry guys i got five words i'm front of the queue to go on the big dipper don't mind me you know what i mean though so life just it's just like normal life for me personally anyway but it does vary depending on what your symptoms are obviously if they're a bit more severe or if they're bigger and depending on their location as well so that makes a massive impact. But for your average Joe like myself, life goes on. Mm. You can still ride those roller coasters. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I guess the only other thing you could do in the meantime, as we already talked a little bit about diet and exercise, making sure you're a healthy diet, um, sorry, healthy weight, and that you're eating healthily as well, <clears throat> because those will or they can contribute to your symptoms and you may find that things improve just by yeah. making some small changes just on that as well in terms of foods then is there specific groups of food that um people with fibroids who are wanting to improve their qualities of life should have is it like so fruit and vegetables anything plant-based and the studies found that those who consumed meat more often had worse symptoms see i'm not a meat eater or a chicken eater i just love my prawns prawns yeah <laughs> prawns is still meat yeah she she and she tries she just meat. it's like a caveat you know she just like has a little disclaimer she's like I, i'm you know i don't eat any meat which is like other than prawns but like keeps <laughs> it on the dl seafood you know what i mean yeah um, I don't know the studies didn't mention seafood actually but I'm going to group it as meat because prawns do not grow on trees so <laughs> yeah. only in raised dreams only in raised dreams if you were to look back and give yourself your 15 year old self some advice just on life and the experience that you've had what advice would you give your 15 year old self you know, somebody asked me this the other day, so I should have a ready answer. There's probably a few things, but I think one thing I would definitely say to myself is not to worry so much about the opinions of others, mm. um, particularly because at 15, you're still in high school, aren't you? And yeah. like, I wasn't one of the really popular kids and, mm. you know, I just wasn't one of those who was a center of attention and... Mm. You know, I was hoping boys would notice me, but now here I am and I'm married with three kids, so I did all right. And I'm yeah. a doctor. Yeah. 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 
I tell myself those pe- the opinions of those people don't really matter. And in, yes. like, even just a year's time, they're not going to matter to you at all. So don't be too concerned about what these other people at school are like. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I mean, I was quite driven anyway as a 15 year old. I, I don't think anyone at my school had ever gone on to study medicine before. Oh. So I had to drive myself because the teachers weren't particularly helpful mm. and some were just not supportive. Mm. So yeah I wouldn't change anything there yeah it would be to not worry about the opinions of others I think love that love that we've also got a a playlist on um, Apple Music it's called Melanin and Me and every guest that comes on we try and get them to add a little bit of their flavour into that playlist so what are your top three songs that you're currently listening to at the minute Oh, to be honest, I haven't listened to any music for a little while. I've been listening to podcasts, but actually, no, I did listen to Kurt Franken's latest release. He's done a little Christmas song with Mariah Carey. Nice. So I think it's called Fall in Love at Christmas. So nice. that one is definitely one of my most recent ones. Yeah. Um, let me check my Spotify. I don't remember. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> uh, let me see what I've listened to recently. Oh, I like Mood by Wizkid. Mood, yes, what a banger. It is a banger. The Remedy by T. Williams. I think he's done a remix, and that's been my gym tune for the last week. So I'll go with those three, I think. Lovely. Thank you very much. We'll sure add to add those in the um, Melanin and Me playlist. Excellent. Thank you. And then lastly but certainly not least um in terms of the socials I know you mentioned them at the beginning have you got any sort of like Instagrams or any Twitter accounts that you want our followers to um follow to keep up with up to date with either your life or your medical world what are your socials so I'm not very good at Twitter. In fact, I don't use it at all. <laughs> but you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram handle is at caramel underscore dr7. Yeah, caramel underscore dr7. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you very much. Ash, have you got anything to add to that? Honestly, I'm just so grateful, Stacey, that you've blown my mind. And uh, yeah, I wish I wish you were there during my lessons at school because honestly, it's it's so it's so nice to to know that you know no matter what age or part of life or you know um, chapter of life you're in, you can still continue to learn and learn about the female body and stuff. And yeah, just really grateful to have this conversation with you. It's it's been great. So thank you for that. Thanks for having me. Um, I hope women will feel encouraged I know you mentioned sometimes that you get to the certain age and you feel like you should know everything but as I said it's it's not your fault if you've never been told so like I'd really encourage women not to feel any way it's okay to ask questions Mm. I mean that's what your GP is there for your gynecologist or whoever some trusted source you know not just Google Dr Google (laughs) Dr Google but yeah don't feel embarrassed to ask questions it's your body and you need to understand it and understand what's normal for you and how it works so yeah Mm. it's a good series that you're doing thank you thank you (laughs) thank you very much so that's a wrap on today's episode we hope you enjoyed it and that you gained something positive from listening in whether that be you gained a new perspective got some tips and tricks to motivate and inspire you or it's just made you smile 
Don't forget to like, share, subscribe and leave a review so that you don't miss any upcoming episodes and so we can bring you more of the content that you love. Until next time, stay blessed, wear that crown with pride and keep shining.